Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from Southwest Louisiana and out of Ashes Ministries. I hope you guys are doing well, and I'm excited to be with you guys this week. So if it's your first time listening, thanks so much for tuning in, and I appreciate you having you here, and I hope that you enjoy the conversation. And if you've been listening for a while, thank you guys so much for sticking around and being a part of the family. We really appreciate it, and you know how much we love you guys and appreciate you and the awesome community that is being built around Out of Ashes that Hashem is building and around Image Bearers and all this stuff is so good. And uh, so welcome to you all. I want us to say a special shout out and thanks to uh, Hebrew Nation and uh, just for the work that they do and for all of the uh, incredible content they provide. And uh, just mention to you guys, if you uh, are looking for somewhere to give part of your offering, uh, part of a, you know, give a donation somewhere, I would really ask you to consider Hebrew Nation Online. They do a fantastic job. They, they coordinate all these teachers and all these programs, uh, and they do it free, you know, so, uh, giving where giving is due is a good thing. And so I'd encourage you guys, if you have, you know, a donation to send somewhere, uh, you can go to Hebrew Nation online and you can, uh, give. There's a donate button there. So consider doing that. It would be very much appreciated. And I know that it would bless them and, uh, they would continue to be able to bring you this awesome content with so many fantastic teachers. So, uh, what's going on? Uh, well, we are in the month of Elul. Just a couple days ago, we entered the month of Elul. And uh, so, uh, happy Rosh Chodesh. And uh, this is a month that is full. Uh, this is a time period that is full. From now all the way to the end of Sukkot, uh, I want to encourage you, don't let your spiritual guard down, right? Don't be very careful because right now is... Uh, you know, things are happening, things are going on, uh, Hashem is moving, there's a, you know, this Anila Dodi Vadodi Li, the, the acronym for Elul, uh, the king is in the field, and, uh, you know, the Jewish sages say the king is in the field and he's smiling. It's the one time a year where, you know, in, in antiquity the king would come out of his castle, come off of his throne, and actually, you know, come out and be with the people, and he's out in the field and he's smiling. Uh, which means that he's welcoming any requests, any petitions, uh, and he's accessible more this time of the year. So, I mean, whether you believe that or not is fine, uh, but I love the picture that the king is in the field and he's waiting to hear from us. And so uh, I would encourage you guys, this month of Elul is a time of petition, uh, not partition, petition, and introspection. And uh, so, you know, this is a time for us to look at ourselves and to be very uh, keenly aware of what's going on with us and to you know, examine ourselves and take inventory uh, of, of where we are and who we are and what we're doing and our motives and our intentions and our covenant and all these different kinds of things. And uh, so this is the time for that. And uh, then to, you know, to seek Hashem when he's, when he's close, when he is to be found. 
And so I hope that you take advantage of this, these uh, what are called 40 days, Elul, and then we go into uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, and then we have Yom Kippur, and then we get ready for Sukkot. And Sukkot is like six weeks away. Uh, so it is coming quickly and will be here before you know it. And so on that, let me just mention real quick, uh, if you are planning, we have had a tremendous response uh, to folks wanting to come and join us at OAM for Sukkot, and I am thrilled and a little bit overwhelmed. Uh, my wife, who does most of the coordinating for Sukkot, uh, is is getting a little uh, a little overwhelmed with all the response. It's fantastic. So thank you guys for registering. If you uh, are planning on spending Sukkot with us, uh, please, please go to our website, outofashesministries.org, uh, and there is a link there for Sukkot 22. And so if you would just check out the information there, please register and let us know when you're coming. We really, really would appreciate it. Uh, all the information is there. And if you have any questions, just reach out. We're available by messenger. My personal phone number is on there. Uh, you can reach out however is convenient for you. Uh, and if you have any questions or you're on the fence or anything, just reach out and uh, let's talk. And so we're really looking forward to Sukkot. As we do every year, we have some really cool things uh, planned, and so we know it's going to be an awesome time. So uh, as we get into this week's episode, we are in Parsha Shoftim this week, and that begins in Devarim, Deuteronomy uh, 16, verse 18. So if you're sitting somewhere and you want to uh, follow along, please do so. Uh, before we do that, though, let's go to the Father in prayer and ask Him to bless our time together. Avinu Shabbat Shemaim, our Father in heaven, we bless you, Father, for this time together, and we ask that you be with us wherever we may be, all the way from southwest Louisiana to wherever people may be listening. We thank you, Father, for this incredible opportunity to study your word together, and we pray that we can bear your image a little better every day. So, Parshat Shoftim, uh, Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 16, beginning, beginning in verse 18. Uh, I hope you've been keeping up with the weekly Parshiot. Uh, if you have not, no problem. Uh, but man, I really would encourage you to. They are such an incredible blessing. And, you know, it is a unique thing to, uh, to, to be reading the same thing as, uh, you know, the Jewish people and, and just, you know, millions and millions of other people around the world who have accepted the mantle of the Torah, uh, through Yeshua and, uh, just to be, you know, to be engaging with the word, uh, the same scriptures as everyone else week after week is such a beautiful thing. So if you're not already reading the Parsha each week, you know, people argue, well, it's a rabbinic tradition. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, so is read the Bible in 365 days, but a lot of people do that, you know, or a 12-week devotion or whatever. That's a, that's made up. Uh, but, the, you know, it, it's, it's good. It, it pushes us and holds us accountable to be in the Word and to be studying together. And uh, so I would encourage you, you know, to check it out and to do that. And uh, so this week we're in Parsha Shoftim. We are about halfway through the book of Devarim, and uh, it'll be over before you know it, and a new cycle will have begun. 
And so we are, you know, we're excited about about that. We get to get back into my favorite book, which is Better Sheet, and uh, oh, just just so good. Uh, so. Uh, we are in Devarim and Parshat Shoftim, and of course, the name of the Parsha comes from the first word of this week's uh, uh, Torah portion, and that is Shoftim, judges, judges. So let's begin in verse 18, and we're going to read. I want to, uh, I want to talk today about the the depth and the intricacies a little bit of the ancient Israelite justice system. Uh, we've kind of talked about this around the edges a little bit before. But this Parsha really shows uh, continuity, and it shows just the depth of, of how Hashem uh, treats justice. And I think it's a, a great lesson for us to learn, and there's a lot of wisdom in here for us. So we're going to begin in verse 18, and he says, Judges and officers, you shall appoint in all your cities, which Hashem your God gives you for your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert judgment. You shall not respect someone's presence, and you shall not accept a bribe, for the bribe will blind the eyes of the wise and make just words crooked. And then this verse 20, we all know this phrase, righteousness, righteousness shall you pursue so that you will live and possess the land that Hashem your God gives you. So when the first part here, and we'll finish this chapter, verse 21, you shall not plant for yourselves an idolatrous tree, any tree near the altar of Hashem, your God, that you would make for yourself. And you shall not erect yourselves a pillar, which Hashem, your God, hates. So that second part there, that verse 21, diverts a little bit. And uh, there's a lot to talk about there that we won't get to today. But uh, this opening uh, part of this Parsha, which of course carries on from the, you know, the end of the last Parsha, uh, where we're talking about coming to Jerusalem with offerings and things, and we've just talked about the Shlosh Regalim, the three pilgrimage festivals, and then we turn to this judges and officers, uh, you know, officers deal. And I love how these two, these two Parsha kind of are the, these, these passages, they're in the same chapter, right, which we know is kind of arbitrary, the chapter and verse markers, but they're both in chapter 16. And the question could be, how do you go from chapter 16, where we're talking about, you know, the three pilgrimage festivals, we're talking about Pesach and Shavuot and Sukkot, and then we're talking in uh, verse 16 of chapter 16 about coming to uh, Jerusalem uh, during those festivals, all the males, you know, which, um, an interesting fact, the males, any male um, child that is old enough to walk at least four or five steps was uh, obligated to bring an offering as well. So it's not just the men over a certain, it's not like just the men over 20. It's any male child, the Mishnah tells us, uh, that is over, that is able to walk a certain distance was obligated to bring an offering. So if you think about how the offerings were done and, you know, how the, the temple service was done and all, just think about that. That's a, that's a massive amount of offerings, which, which is cool. And we'll get into that at some, in some episode later. So we have this this thing about these pilgrimage festivals, right? And everybody coming to Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, we talk, we're talking about judges and officers, right? Which is interesting how that chapter goes from one thing to the other. To me, it's interesting. And I think there's continuity there because what you have is you have people in their communities, in their tribal lands, in their cities, in their, you know, in their, where they live. And they are preparing for, you know, their lives revolve around these pilgrimage feasts, 
Um, we ours are getting there where we, you know, our, our time is linking up with the father's time. And hopefully our year is starting to kind of be planned around the, these, you know, these feast days, Rosh Kodesh, Shabbat, certainly first and foremost. And, and hopefully we're getting an understanding of what it means to build your life around God's calendar. Whatever calendar it is you keep, um, you know, there's no denying the feast days and, you know, and however you keep Shabbat or however, if you do or don't do or however you do Rosh Kodesh, uh, whether it's by the calculated calendar or the sighted moon or whatever it is, it's important to realize that these are important dates. These are important things that God has given us. And so we, we're starting to understand a little bit of, you know, uh, these people that are, are uh, they're modeling and their, their whole life is centered around uh, the Father's timekeeping and his heartbeat in time, the way I like to say it. So uh, we go into judges and officers. Well, we just finished talking about how no one is, is supposed to appear before Hashem empty-handed, right? It's the end of last Parsha. That's in chapter 16, uh, verse 16. Uh, do not, uh, verse, I'm sorry, verse 16. Yeah, the end of verse 16. Uh, do not be- appear before Hashem empty-handed, right? Verse 17, everyone according to what he can give, according to the blessing that Hashem, your God, has given you. And then we go into this thing about appoint judges, right, and officers. And so I want to read this note. Uh, this is from the Stone Humash, and I just think it's good uh, to get a little perspective. It says, previously the Torah implied that there had to be standing courts to resolve disputes. That's in Exodus 21, 22, and 22, 8. Here the Torah gives formal command that such courts could be established or should be established in every city of Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, with a Sanhedrin or high court for each tribe. Okay, so there's a Sanhedrin. So when we hear the word Sanhedrin, we think what just this one group of maybe 70, 72 people uh, in Jerusalem. But no, there are other Sanhedrins. Each tribe has a high court. And it says that. Uh, in addition to the judges, the Torah requires the appointment of officers of the court who would have the responsibility to enforce the decisions of the judges and would circulate in the markets and streets to enforce the standards of honesty and summon violators to the court for adjudication. Most of this sidra, this reading, deals with commandments directed to the leaders of the nation because their conduct has a powerful influence on the rest of the people for good or bad. Let me read that statement again. Most of this sidra deals with the commandments, deals with commandments directed to the leaders of the nation because their conduct has a powerful influence on the rest of the people for good or bad. Boy, is that true or what? In addition, the Torah warns very forcefully that decisions of the Sanhedrin must be obeyed in chapter 17. For God granted its sages the power to interpret the Torah's laws on a day-to-day basis. If there were to be a breakdown of respect for their interpretation, the downfall of the nation would not be far behind. Such a breakdown would lead to anarchy, with the Torah being fragmented into many Torahs. And I think that's a fantastic opening note uh, on the verses that we just read and the Parsha as a whole. So a couple things let me say about this real quick. So I know that there is you know, a lot of disagreement, a lot of uh, unease about... This idea where, you know, it just says in chapter 17, and we'll, we'll get there and we'll read that, uh, that we are to obey or that Israel is to obey those that are elected as judges and officers, right? As judges, shoftim. And we are, you know, they are to obey them. We are to obey them. 
uh, and there's a lot of you know there's a lot of weight put behind this passage in Judaism, of course, and this is where you know similarly some of the rabbis derive their authority from, and uh, and it's kind of convenient, right? Well, God says He put us in authority, and so you have to obey us, and you know some that are more. Um, uh, are less, let me say, less uh, friendly with the rabbinic world and rabbinic teachings will say, well, they'll pull out the, the idea that, well, yeah, you know, the rabbis say that, you know, even if the rabbi tells you that the left is right and right is left, you have to obey them, you know, and that's what God said. And, um, and, and you know, while that may be true, uh, there is there's some other parts of this that we want to use to balance this idea. And, uh, the, you know, I think immediately when I, when I think about this, I think about uh, all my years of youth pastoring, and I think about kids that would come to me and say, listen, my, you know, my mom and dad or my mom or my dad or whatever, you know, says that I have to do this or says I can't come to church anymore or says I can't read my Bible or says I can't, you know, listen to worship music or whatever, and, you know, should I obey them or not? And it's like, well, do you obey them or do you obey God? And, it, and it's that kind of thing. And that, I think, in a lot of ways, is how this is um, this is 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 positioned, and this is compared to that kind of ideal. Or your your spouse is you know is challenging you not to keep the Torah, or you know your boss is trying to make you work on Shabbat, and and, all, and how should you do those things? And we compare the sages and the rabbis and what's called Chazal, the the group of sages. In, in Judaism especially, we compare them to, you know, that, that unjust boss or that unrighteous spouse or whatever. And I want to challenge that today in the, in the reading of this Parsha. And I want to I show you why I'm challenging that and why I think it's legitimate and why I don't think that that is an equal comparison. I think we need to be careful of that, okay? So let's continue reading. We're going to go into chapter 17. And it says, you shall not slaughter for Hashem your God, an ox or lamb or kid in which there will be a blemish, any bad thing, because that is an abomination of Hashem your God. If there will be found any among you in one of your tribes, which Hashem your God gives you, a man or woman who commits what is evil in the eyes of Hashem your God to violate his covenant, and he will go and serve the gods of others and prostrate himself to them or to the sun or to the moon or any host of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it will be told to you, and you will hear, then you shall investigate well. So let me stop here and say, who is he talking to? Who is this this section to? Well, I think as our introductory note kind of helped us to steer, many times we can read this and say, well, this is just speaking to any Israelite, right? This is speaking to anybody. And we get in this very dangerous game and very dangerous thing of like vigilante justice, right? Where it's where every man has the, the responsibility to police everybody else. And yes, while there is, is, is uh, accountability between members of the kingdom, uh, we tend to take that too far. Some of us take it too far. Some of us don't. You understand what I'm saying? And so we we read this and we go, oh, see, it's my job to, if anybody's doing anything wrong, then I have to call them out and I have to be the bearer of truth. And I have to be the one that, you know, um, I, you know, I talk to, I talk to people and you talk to people and this may be you. If this is you, stop it. Okay. <laughs> I love you, but stop it. Um, these people that go, you know, well, God gave me the truth and it's my responsibility to tell the truth everywhere I am. I get it. And you're right. It is our responsibility to bear the truth 
and to be a truth teller. That is 100% our responsibility. Um, But we can tell the truth in love legitimately. And what I mean by legitimately is a lot of times we just, we destroy people with the truth. We hurt their feelings. We offend them. Well, the truth is offensive. Yeah, stop and wait. Let me finish talking. (laughs) I'm arguing with myself. Um, But the, this idea that, you know, we, 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 well, I'm telling the truth in love because I love them. Well, I have a hard time with that and and believing that because so many times we get this thing about, you know, being truth tellers. And what we really want to do is we want to feel this self-righteous feeling of, you know, being correct and, and having corrected other people. Like it was our responsibility and we did our job right. And God is going to be pleased with us. And meanwhile, possibly there's many times more than not, maybe even the person that we've just waylaid with the quote unquote truth is, is that laying there in a puddle or in pieces and we've broken them and we've not given them anything to rebuild with. And, and, and that's not, that's not, I'm sorry, that's not the way to do it. And if that's what you're doing, then I want to sincerely ask during this time of Elul, do some introspection and, and see. Now, some of us, on the other hand, we just don't get involved. We're not confrontational. We don't get involved. We just let things go and let people veer off into destruction. And that's not right either, right? That's not right either. So we, we need to have a balance and we need to understand the wisdom of what the scripture is saying. And the end of this verse that we just read, the end of verse four, chapter 17, um, out of the middle of it, let, let me just start again in verse four. Uh, it says, and so if, you, if you've heard any, anybody that's, that's done, first of all, let me just say, um, this is about people that have are violating the covenant and will go and serve other gods and prostrate themselves to them or to the sun and moon and any host of heaven, which God has not commanded. So I think a lot of times what we, what we want to correct people on is that they are not doing things and don't understand Scripture and Hashem the way that we do, right? And they don't live the way that we have been shown or we believe and we have interpreted that they should live. And so we want to call them out on how they're walking with God, not that they're walking away from God. We want to, we want to bemoan and belittle people because of how they're doing their best sincerely to walk with God, not that they're walking away from God and serving you know, Buddha or serving some other God or worshiping the sun, moon, and the stars. That's a different thing. That's a different thing altogether. And so he says... Verse four, and it will be told to you and you will hear. Then you shall investigate well. You shall investigate well. And I think that's one of the missing pieces. I'm going to call that missing piece number one. That we we don't investigate well. Now, let me actually go back and say that's not number one. Number one is actually found in the beginning of our Parsha, where that famous verse 20, that famous phrase, righteous, righteousness, 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 you shall pursue. Now, many times in, uh, in the, it's like, it's like our way of saying very, right? When you repeat something in Hebrew, many times it's to draw emphasis to it. Like, hey, I'm really serious about this, right? Like us saying very or really or something like that. 
But there's another interpretation to this passage, and that is that um, this idea of you are to seek righteousness, pursue righteousness, but you are to pursue it righteously, right? So it's a righteous pursuit of righteousness, and that's different. That's different than just pursuing righteousness um, as, a, as a weapon or as a club against someone else or as a, a feeling of arriving or any of, you know, of those other motives and intentions. I told you guys, this month of Elul is about introspection, so we're going to get all up in our business. And we need to. We need to look in the mirror and see what we're, what we're saying and doing and see how it's coming across and is it really righteous. It's not enough to pursue righteousness, but we need to pursue righteousness by a righteous intention, righteous heart, righteous motives, righteous actions, right? And so whenever we, whenever we do that, that's the missing part number one. I'm going to call that missing part number one. Scrub what I wrote before, or said before. Number two is going to be our investigatory, the way we investigate, when we feel like somebody has wronged the covenant. All right, we're going to be right back right after the break. Don't go away. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So, number one, we need to make sure as we do our introspection, before we even worry about what anybody else is doing or however anybody else is, is living or you know what they believe or whatever, we need to be really, really careful that we are pursuing righteousness righteously, okay? And how do we do that? Well, in my opinion... This is what the Torah and the Spirit are all about. They are to teach us how, when, where, how we do these things. And, and they are to teach us, uh, you know, that make sure that as we, as we learn the Torah, as we are led by the Spirit and we study Scripture, we need to make sure that, we, uh, that those things are molding us, right? Uh, a couple of parshot ago, there's a phrase that we should do what is good and right, and the you know the commentaries struggle with that. Well, why why is it good and right? And it's because we can do the good things, but are we can? I'm sorry, right and good, right and good. We can do the right things, but they don't produce goodness, right? How many of you you may have been a, a kind of a rebellious kid, or you may know rebellious kids, and maybe you did what you were supposed to, but you didn't like it. And it maybe it even caused bitterness and it caused rebellion and, and anger in your life. There are people like that that will do what's right, but man, it just uh, it just grates on them, right? And so the the scripture is telling us, the Torah is telling us, do what is right and good. And this is, I think, what you, is is part of what Yeshua's um, you know whole Sermon on the Mount is based on. Like you've heard it said, don't commit murder, but don't even hate your brother right? Do what is right and good. And so by doing what is right, i.e. learning the Torah and doing the Torah, 
and being led by the Ruach HaKodesh, by, what is, by, by learning and doing what is right, it should produce in us a goodness. It should produce goodness, a character of God. It should produce the fruit of the Spirit in us, right? And that's how we righteously pursue righteousness. Number two, how many times do we want to accuse somebody of not believing or not doing or whatever, something, and really it's an unfounded accusation because we haven't investigated it. We haven't investigated it well. And let me ask you this. How many people are there that you would like or maybe have or we would like to criticize for what they teach, what they believe, what whatever? And if we were really honest with ourselves, the amount of investigation that it would take to, uh, to solidify and to confirm our claim, we really don't want to go through that amount of work, Right? And so the, 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 the deal is, is don't accuse somebody of something if you're not willing to do the work to back up your accusation. If you're not willing to go through what it takes to prove your case, don't make a criticism. Don't make a critique. I said this past Shabbat, and this is kind of hard for me to, to, to admit. I joke on like flat earthers and stuff, and, and I'll I just... I'm sorry I do it. I apologize before you, okay? But I do, and I have from time to time. But you know what? Really, in, in, all, truly, in, in all trueness and honesty, and I've said this before, I really do, I respect those people in a way because most of the people that I know that truly believe in a flat-earth cosmology, I know that they, are, they have sincerely sought out truth. And, you know, I, here's the part about investigation. All right, and this can go for somebody with a different calendar or whatever. The people that I know that, that don't celebrate according to the calendar that I do or that we do, most of them have done months and months and months and years of study into which calendar, into the scriptures, and they've come across the calendar that they believe is most accurate. You know what? If I were to invest, if I thought that was wrong and I was to investigate that, I'd be proven wrong. So we have to be willing to do the investigation if we're going to accuse somebody of not, quote unquote, following truth. And I'll say this again, and I believe this with all of my heart. Most of the time when we say somebody is not following truth or not, you know, doing God's walking with God the right way, it's usually because their way disagrees with our way. It's not that. It's not that they are different than the the truth. Their way is just a little different than our way. And so this the this is a a a, a way to temper justice. This is God's way of tempering justice. And it's an all out uh it's all a denial of vigilante justice, right? I want you to see the depth of how Hashem wants us to treat justice with each other. Let's keep reading. Verse 12, And the man who will act with willfulness, not listening to the Kohen who stands there to serve Hashem your God, or to the judge, that man shall die. And you shall destroy the evil from among Israel. The entire nation shall listen and fear, and they shall not act willfully anymore. Okay, now here I'm going to really upset some people. If I haven't upset you yet and you're still listening, so, number one, it says that they're not willing to listen to the Kohen, right? 
Well, there are no standing Kohanim because there's no temple, obviously. But when there will be a Kohen, how many of us non-Israelites are going to be willing to listen to him? (laughs) How many of us that are anti-Rabbinic, anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish, anti-whatever, anti-Mishnah, anti-Talmud, anti-history, all this stuff, how many of us that that, that, that hate anything Jewish today, even though we somehow say we want to follow the Torah, how many of us, when there is a Kohen standing, are going to follow, are going to listen? Many of us today in that camp will willfully disobey the Kohen. So see, we're not even following the Torah as it is. And I, I, I can hear, maybe not any of you, but I can hear the, the you know, people coming back at me and say, well, Yeshua is going to be, well, guys, Yeshua is not a Kohen here on the earth. He serves in the office of Kohen, of priest, in the throne room, but he cannot be an earthly priest because the earthly priesthood is Levitical. And if that messes with you and hurts your feelings, I'm, I know after order the order of Melchizedek. I, I know, I know, I know. I have studied Melchizedek. There's a good chance many people who believe this other thing have not studied the temple. So if we're going to disagree on this, at least let's study both sides. I've studied the Melchizedek side, and I understand the function of Yeshua as serving as priest in the in the heavenly temple. I understand why that language is used and how it's used and what what it's trying to convey. Have you studied the temple? And do you understand what it means when Yeshua will be back here on this earth? Listen, when Yeshua comes back and sets up his kingdom, it's not going to be a one-man government, guys. There's not going to be, it's not going to be like Yeshua returns on the Mount of Olives, the earth splits open, everybody goes, oh my gosh, look, it's the Son of God, it's Messiah, everybody repents, and then everybody just is perfect all of a sudden. That's not the way it's going to happen. There's going to have to be government. There's going to have to be people in place that are working with Mashiach, that are, that are making sure that justice, justice is being pursued. That's just the way it, just the reality of it. And so there, there will likely be a Kohen of some sort, a judge, judges of some sort. And listen, ju- by the way, we live in a system modeled after this right now. And whenever you've been wronged in our American legal system, you better hope the judge is righteous. And number two, that the person that wronged you will listen to the judge and doesn't act willfully against them, right? So this Cohen and this judge, right? Let's talk about them a little bit more. Let's go over a couple of verses uh, or a couple of chapters, actually. And um, the, here we go. Chapter 15. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 18. Nope, 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 nope. I'm sorry. Let's take a stop over in chapter 17 because I want to read that, uh, that passage that we talked about earlier about uh, having to... Um, to obey the men that God has put in in uh, in authority. This is chapter seventeen, verse ten. Um, or let's actually go to verse eight. Chapter seventeen, verse eight. If a matter of judgment is hidden from you between blood and blood, between verdict and verdict, between plague and plague, matters of dispute in your cities, you shall rise up and ascend to the place that Hashem your God shall choose. You shall come to the Kohanim, the Levites, and to the judge who will be in those days. 
and you shall inquire that they will tell you the word of judgment. You shall do according to the word they will tell you from that place that Hashem will choose. And you shall be careful to do according to everything they will teach you. According to the teaching that they will teach you, and according to the judgment that they shall say to you, shall you do. You shall not deviate from the word that they will tell you, right or left. And the man who will act with willfulness, not listening to the Kohen who stands there to serve Hashem your God or to the judge, that man shall die, and you shall destroy the evil from among Israel. The entire nation shall listen and fear, and they shall not act willfully any more. So we believe, and we many, most of us, many of us will say that, well, Yeshua is that Kohen for us, is that judge for us. I will 100% agree with that. The problem with where we deviate is that we think, well, Yeshua explicitly spoke against everything that the rabbis had said, everything that the sages had said, everything that you know Judaism had ever thought or dreamt of, Yeshua came to fix all of that. And I will, I will concede that there are some things that Yeshua came to speak against that was wrong in Judaism some sects of Judaism that had gotten off course. We've talked about this. Go see our series on the silent years. We've talked in, in depth and in, length and, you know, in breadth about this subject and this topic. Yes, there were some things that needed correction, but Yeshua did not come to fix Judaism as a whole. Salvation is of the Jewish people, and Yeshua, of all people, being a Jew, understood that. Hello. His name was Yeshua, salvation, of the Jewish people. And so were there problems in Judaism in the first century? Absolutely. Were, did we have problems in Christianity? Absolutely. Do we have problems in the Hebrew roots and Messianic movement? Absolutely. Okay, so there is not this overall overhaul, get, a, get it out and, and do something new kind of attitude. Yeshua, if you look at and you do some serious study on the, the sayings of Yeshua, the teachings of Yeshua, we actually find his teachings very consistent with a large swatch of Judaism of his day and of the previous centuries. That's just historical fact. And so this 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 Cohen or this this judge that stands before us and and tells us what we need to know and tells us the truth has to be one first and foremost that righteously pursues righteousness that is the prerequisite for any judge or any levite and Cohen that is standing in that day listen i, I know i'm i'm harping on this a lot but we have to get rid of this idea that the priests always and forever were corrupt that the, the sages always and forever were corrupt, that Judaism was always and forever corrupt. Judaism is what birthed our Messiah. Judaism is what birthed the, the movement of our Messiah and expanded the kingdom throughout the entire world. And what did it get in repayment? It got exile and blood and tears for the last you know 2,000 years. We have to fix this idea that just because there were some bad folks in Israel at different points and Israel did some bad things, that everything that God had planned in the beginning was all corrupt. That's not the case. These Kohanim, these judges, these Shoftim had to be righteous. 
they had to be diligently righteous or else there were massive consequences for them. In the beginning of this Parsha, we talk about bribes, right? This is one of the areas that is, is a big deal. And, and so you can't be a righteous judge if you're, if you're involved in taking bribes. Now, did some take bribes? Of course. Does that mean the whole system is, is bad? Absolutely not. Let's read chapter 18, verse 15. It says, A prophet from your midst, from your brethren, like me, it's Moshe speaking, of course, shall Hashem your God establish for you. To him you shall hearken. According to that, all you asked of Hashem your God in Horeb on the day of the congregation, saying, I can no longer hear the voice of Hashem my God, and this great fire I can no longer see, so I shall not die. Then Hashem said to me, they have done well in what they said. I will establish a prophet for them and among their brethren like you, and I will place my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them everything that I will command him. And it shall be that the man who will not hearken to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I will exact from him. But the prophet who willfully shall speak a word in my name, that which I have not commanded him to speak, who shall speak in the name of gods of others, that prophet shall die. And when you say in your heart, how can we know the word of Hashem is not spoken? If the prophet shall speak in the name of Hashem and that thing will not occur and not come about, this is the word of Hashem have not spoken. With willfulness has the prophet spoken it. You shall not fear him. So again, this idea that there's a willfulness here. There's a willfulness. So I'll, I'll say number one is we need to do better, excuse me, we need to do better about r- seeking justice righteously. Number two, we need to be more careful about if we're going to make a claim against somebody not speaking truth or living in truth, we need to make sure that we are willing to investigate it. And if you're not willing to put in the time to investigate it, then keep your mouth shut. Number three, we need to understand that the people that we are listening to, the people that we have put in, in place as our teachers, our, uh, you know, the people that are speaking into our lives that we are receiving truth from, from, we need to investigate them. And we need to make sure that they are living, they are righteously pursuing righteousness, that everything about them is pursuing righteousness with humility, with a good heart. Are they going to be perfect? Of course not. But are they going to be repentant? Are they going to be humble? Are they going to be, you know, people that take correction? Are they being taught themselves by someone else or by other people? Are they willing to move? Are they willing to, to share, you know, where God is dealing with them and, and show these things? Is there a, is there a, are they vulnerable and are they transparent? We need to make sure that our teachers and leaders, and I have those teachers and leaders as well, and I investigate them. We have face-to-face conversations about what's going on in their lives, and they are transparent as much as I'm willing to be transparent. And so we need to be careful that we are that the people that we put up as as you know leaders in our own lives, as covering or whatever we want to call it, are those people. Because that is God again, this Parsha is mainly speaking to the judges and the leadership, right? Okay, so let's continue reading in chapter 19. And let us go to verse uh, 15. It says, A single witness shall not stand up against any man for any iniquity or for any error regarding any sin that he may commit. By the testimony of two witnesses or by the testimony of three witnesses shall a matter be confirmed. If a false witness stands against a man to speak up spuriously against him, then the two men 
who have the grievance shall stand before Hashem, before the Kohanim and the judges who will be in those days, and the judges shall inquire thoroughly. And behold, the testimony was false testimony. He testified falsely against his fellow. You shall do to him as he conspired to do to his fellow. And you shall destroy the evil from your midst. And those who remain shall hearken in fear, and they shall continue again to do such an evil thing in your midst. Your eyes shall not pity life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. So, here again, I'm going to ask us, I'm going to get all in our business and say, whenever we do accuse someone of something, this, in two or three witnesses, a thing is established, established, the context of the two witnesses and a thing being established is not a doctrine being established. I've heard that before many, many times and go, well, if two or three people agree, then that must be the way it is. That's not the context of two or three witnesses. The context of two witnesses and a thing being established is whenever a, a, an accusation is brought against a brother or a sister. The, the context is that you accuse me of something, and that's not good enough. Anything that we accuse someone of or that we make a judgment on someone of, by the way, judgment is not even in our purview. Um, it's, not, it's not in our pay grade. Discernment is fine. Judgment is not. And the way I think about those is judgment is more uh, internal, more private. I'm going to discern that I'm, you know, that I don't want to be, I don't want that partner part as, uh, or that person as a part of my life. I don't want, you know, and that's a discernment I make. And I, I have to do that and set my own boundaries. And that's okay. That's good and necessary. Some people just don't click with the way you're wired. And you have to be wise enough to know that. A judgment, however, is when is more of a public thing where I then start to talk about and degrade that person and speak out against their, you know, and speak in, in their, their, um, their character and shoot down their character and their, their reputation. And so I don't have the, the authority to do that. Number two, two witnesses, someone, one person can't accuse you of something and it be legitimate. Conversely, you can't accuse someone as a single person and think it's legitimate. What I want you to understand here is that there is, God does, the Parsha begins with, you know, justice, righteousness, righteousness, you shall pursue. But then, and that seems to be that the, the, at all costs, we are to pursue righteousness. And that is true. However, the rest of the Parsha, read it, is laced with these, okay, Pursue justice at all costs. However, make sure that the judge that you're going to is righteous. Number two, make sure that if you make an accusation, you can back it up. Number three, you're not going to just come off and just spur off accusations at somebody. Your story has to be backed up. And the part I love about this is that if you make an accusation against someone and it's been found to be false, then the consequence that should have gone to them, had it been true, now falls to the accuser, which I just think is amazing. It's an amazing wisdom and balance of mercy and justice. 
And so we need to be very careful of how we speak about people and things and situations and how we cast judgment and how we talk about those things because the things that we could want to see for people that are quote-unquote evil or heretics or whatever, whatever we want to call them, if that's found not to be true because we haven't done our homework and our investigation and maybe we opened our mouth prematurely when we shouldn't have, the very thing that they could be, the consequence could be for them, probably falls to us. And that's a very dangerous thing. But it is a built, it's a built-in mechanism for the way God sees justice tempered with mercy. It is, it is an understanding that at, at the highest level, and we talk about Kedusha all the time, and if you follow us on Shabbat, you see me draw my circles. Those, those Kohanim and the, the Kohen that stands, the Kohen Gadol, and the, the, the judges, the Shoftim that stand and judge Israel, and at some, at some day will judge the world, the rest of us. Those that judge, they are accountable in a way that we are not. They are closer to that system, of, to that center of justice. They may not stand closer to the to Kodesh HaKodeshim like we, we talk about it in temple uh, respect, but they are standing closer to the center of justice. And so they bear more of an iniquity. And you know what? If they are wrong, then Hashem will deal with them and will bless the, the one that they dealt wrong with accordingly. And that's justice. That's his just ultimate justice tempered with mercy. And so I, I, I hope and I pray a challenge that you read this Parsha Read it over and over and over and understand that what we have when, when, when I or when someone else quotes a sage or a, a, you know, a, a Jewish sage or a rabbi or whatever, understand that these people by and large that we quote have spent their entire lives pouring over the, the minutia, uh, the, 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 very, the very jots and tittles of the Torah a lifetime. And we read something once in the language it wasn't even written in and think, oh, we got this. We, we understand what it's saying. So I love you all. I pray you have a fantastic rest of the week. Again, happy Rosh Kodesh and may Elul be fantastic for you. Talk to you next week. Shalom, shalom. 